0: We've been so long in this book, I feel like some of us are going to die in this book. (laughs) We are considering the exemplary example of Rahab the harlot, or prostitute as we would know them today. One thing that has stood out to me is that you do not have to be identified by your past regardless of how she's mentioned in the scripture, it's not to shame her, but to demonstrate the grace of God on undeserving sinners. So we return to this passage, and I was, and I am encouraged to hear uh, just the chatter about uh, the the discussions and uh, all that is happening around in people's lives and the interest in this portion of Scripture. And I know some of you have already solved the issue, which is why you have come this morning to find out did she lie? How is it possible that she was justified by a lie? And so I will deal with that, but at the end, we have an entire 50 minutes to get through before we get to that. When I began this uh, section, which starts in verse 14, I gave you a brief outline. Um, and it was faith that works in verse 14 through to 17, faith never stands alone in verse 18 through to 19, and then faith illustrated through works in verse 20 through to 25. I left 26 off because it's a summary statement. I'm going to get to that next week because it is the most important statement that James makes in all of this chapter. And so he builds up to that, And uh, if you read it, it is obvious, uh, but there's a nuance to it that I think we often overlook. So we are looking at faith illustrated through works. Last time, I gave you three problems that is raised in verse 25. Number one, the moral problem of her being a prostitute. Did she remain a harlot? And we answered a questions fr- question from uh, Joshua chapter 2. The answer is no. She left with the Jews, or the Hebrews, and gave up her life of harlotry. This morning we will consider the other two problems, which is the theological problem justified by works, and the ethical problem justified by a lie. Those two go together, and so I left it to be dealt with uh, together. So if you want an outline, it's justification by works and justification by Uh, lie. How is that possible? Now for those of you who've been with us from the beginning of verse 14 at least should be able to answer the theological problem. How can she be justified by her works? Well the answer is simple right? She's not because this is not the legal declaration of her righteousness or righteous standing before God. She is not being declared righteous in this work. But there is a little bit of a nuance that I'm going to mention here in this passage. And yes, I'm going to deal with it again because James deals with it again. If he left it off, I I would not have mentioned it. But since he mentions it, I will take the liberty to mention it as well. There is a problem for those who believe that you can be justified by means of works. There's also a problem for those evangelicals who say, yes, justification, the legal declaration is in view here. And I will point out what that problem is. There's a contextual problem for those who hold to this as being soteriological. However, how can one be justified by works? How do we define and understand what James means in verse 25? So let's read together. I'm going to back up. To verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his Abraham's works and faith was completed by his Abraham's works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Why is there so much confusion on these verses? James says that one is justified by faith, and then in Rahab's case, if we change it into a statement, it would say this way, Rahab the prostitute was justified when she received uh, the messengers and sent them out by another way. Instead of making it into a rhetorical question, if you make it into a statement, it does say that she is justified by what she did. Notice what it says, when she received the messengers and sent them out. You can't get around that. So if you hold to the idea that justification in James is the same as Pauline's use of justification, then you have a major problem. Then James is advocating works salvation, which I believe he is not. Now to add to the tension and the problem, let me give you some Commentary perspective of this verse, a very um, well-recommended and respected commentary, the Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, quote, listen, Her faith moved her to risk her life to protect the spies. As a result, even, they were kai, the prostitute, was declared righteous. Is that right? The prostitute was declared righteous because she protected the spies. That's a problem. Listen to Peter Lang in the commentary of the Holy Scriptures. Now, I have to add a caveat that he does say earlier that justification um, here in this portion is not justification before God, but before the world. He says that we are declared righteous to the world. Keep that in mind. Now listen to what he says. Just as Abraham, by the sacrifice of Isaac, um, by, from being a Jew, hedged in by his nationality, became the patriarch of spiritual Israel. I'm going to pause here and make a little bit of a caveat. That is wrong. First of all, there is no spiritual Israel. The Bible does not speak of a spiritual Israel. In every 70 occurrences of the word Israel in the New Testament, it is always national Israel. Always. Always. So we need to move away from speaking about spiritual Israel because the Bible doesn't call us spiritual Israel. It calls us believers, saints, Christians. He goes on to say a pattern, so Abraham, a pattern to Jewish readers of the epistle. Hang on. When Abraham believed, was he a Christian? Well, I mean, sorry, was he a Jew? No, he was not. He believed God before circumcision. So anyway, problem there so is the case of Rahab uh, is also an example drawn from the uh, the Old Testament listen to this um, of the ability of Gentiles becoming by means of the work of faith the spiritual companions of Abraham and his children did you catch that Gentiles by means of the work of faith become spiritual companions of Abraham and his children. No. This idea is called secondary justification. This is when, after being declared righteous by God, there is a secondary declaration of righteousness before the world. That language is absolutely confusing. Because to be declared righteous is only before God. God does not declare us righteous before the world. He does not do that. We vindicate our righteousness to the world or before other believers. One more little example. Listen to this. Quote, The kind of faith that is necessary for salvation is like Abraham's. Who was justified by his works, because his faith issued in unhesitating obedience to God's order to sacrifice his son. By this, uh, by this, his faith was perfected. Likewise, with Rahab. So, the key in that line in this uh, um, quote is: Abraham was justified by works. Therefore, likewise. That sounds very evangelical. If you read some commentaries, they say exactly the same thing. The only problem is, this is the Catholic commentary on Holy Scripture. There's no difference between what evangelicals or some evangelicals are saying and what Catholics are saying on this passage. Because James says that Abraham and Rahab are justified by works, they think that it must be declarative uh, justification. And so they say exactly the same thing as what Catholics say on this verse. Why is this so? Because we struggle to make sense of the use of the word justification in the book of James. I know that some of you are already convinced that this is not justification. But allow me to explain. When you see the word justification in James... Above it, right vindication. It means to justify your claim, not to be, I shouldn't say made, but to not to be declared righteous. We don't say made righteous because that is Catholic. We say God declares us righteous. So how do we prove this from the text? How do we prove that James does not mean justification as a declarative act from God? Ask the question what causes the justification i think it's simple if justification here is our legal standing before god then james is advocating works salvation look at the text verse 25 and in the same way was not was not also rahab the prostitute justified by works when She received the messengers and sent them out by another way. There are three verbs in the sentence. Number one, justified. Number two, received. And number three, sent. Those are the three verbs. What do you think is the main verb? Justified. So the other two verbs are then subordinate verbs. And those of you who know a little bit of grammar, participles, As subordinate verbs, they qualify the main verb, meaning they give an attribute or uh, explain a little bit about the main verb. However, in this case, the two verbs, the two subordinate verbs, receiving and sending, take place before the main verb. So keep that in mind and read it again. Was not Rayab the prostitute justified? Hang on. Let's put it in the order. In which it should be said. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, then Rahab, the prostitute, was justified. That is the sense. So she does these things first. Then as a net result of that, what happens? Her justification. So if this justification then is the legal declaration of God... Declaring her righteous, then God is responding to Rahab's works and saying, yes, based on your works, I now declare you righteous. You don't need Christ for that, do you? So then that is not what is in view. What James is saying is that there are things that is taking place before this justification. It is these two works, her receiving and sending, vindicates her faith demonstrates her faith, justifies, within inverted commas, her faith. I think it is absolutely clear. Please note, James does not say that her works is the result of her justification. That's often their argument. That is not his argument. He's saying that the two works lead to or result in Justification. So if you believe that this is the declarative act of justification resulting in salvation, you have a major problem. You must be Catholic. There is no other way to understand that. Because then you are saying that a person is saved, or at least Rehab was saved by means of a work. Is that possible? No. No one, Paul says, no one is able to be saved by means of the works of the law. So she demonstrates her faith by means of her works. Here's the thing. What did she do though? She cared for God's people. The demonstration of her justification of her righteousness before God is seen in how she responds to God's people. You Keep that in mind because I'll get back to that in a moment's time. While there is an emphasis on works, the key theme in this entire chapter is what? Faith. I've been emphasizing works because James has been emphasizing works, but he's never left the theme of faith. Look at 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see those two verbs, show and show? You know what that means? To show. To demonstrate. To put on display. Or in modern day vernacular, Cape Flats, Afrikaans, Vesme. Vesme. Or, or, or as I would have said it, you get it later. Point is, prove it. That is what he's saying. Prove it. Show me your faith. And then he chooses two examples, that's four, two examples to show what faith looks like. Abraham and Rahab, the prostitute. The difference between Paul and James is that Paul focuses on our standing before God And James focuses on a standing before what? Men. Paul focuses on justification apart from work. And James focuses on vindication or justification by means of works. There's not a contradiction here. Paul says this is how it happens before God. James says this is what happens before men. I think you get the idea. Don't get me wrong. James is not saying, just do something. James is saying, check your faith. If you have saving faith, if you have been declared right by God, then works will be evident. So he's turning the eyes of the reader, not so much on the works that they must do, but rather on the quality of their faith in the works that they should be doing. So, James's point is not salvation, but rather sanctification. That's just the ongoing work of God changing people to become like his son. Now, the question is, was she perfect? No. Was Abraham perfect? By no means. And some of you may say, but that's Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Well, was Peter perfect? Even after salvation? No. Was Paul perfect? Was John Mark perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. What's the point of those questions? James is not expecting perfection, but a growth towards maturity. Meaning that if you have saving faith and you've not been engaged in works, what should you be doing? Engaging in works. Growing in your maturity. Yes, I recognize I have not been faithful to the Lord, so then I should be living faithful to the Lord. Somebody asks this question, can a person be a believer but also be disobedient? Very dangerous question. The answer is yes. But the danger is you will never know if that person is a believer. So in 1 Corinthians 3, you don't have to turn to it, I just mentioned at verse 11 through 15, Paul says that some people were built, some Christians were built with gold, silver and precious stones. Some will be faithful, and they will get rewarded for their faithfulness. They will be rewarded for their faithfulness. But others, other Christians, were built primarily with wood, hay, and stubble. Does it mean that they are not believers? No. They are just unloving, disobedient, unfaithful Christians. But we can't say that. We don't know that, because there's nothing in their life that demonstrates that they are believers. They may be truly saved but we don't know that and so we respond to them as unbelievers because there's nothing in their life that demonstrates that they have a relationship with god when you look at raya what do you see do you only see her as a prostitute no not at all we see a person who has a quality of faith that is demonstrated in what she does Rea puts on display the nature of a faith in how she responds to God's people. Now, let's get to the moral dilemma. The, the challenge of the theological dilemma, I think it's adequately answered by James. We don't need to explore that any further. But the moral dilemma, there's a little bit of a challenge here. The moral dilemma is seen in these words, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Turn over to Joshua chapter 2. Keep those words in your mind when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. There's a bit of a problem, and you will pick it up when I read the text in what James does with the identification of these men notice verse 1 and Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying go view the land especially Jericho and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there What does the author of Joshua call these men? Spies. What does James call these men? Messengers. Literally, angaloos. What does it sound like? Angels. There's a problem. If you're a Greek, Jewish, Hebrew believer sitting in the synagogue, hearing the words of James being read, and she received... The messengers, immediately your mind would say, there's, there's, there's something wrong. Because it was not angels. It, was, it wasn't messengers. They were spies. James willingly changes the word from spy, there's a Greek word for spy, to angel or angels, literally of angels in the Greek language. So why does James change this word <coughs> to angel? Because of the larger, wider context. I'm trying to figure out a, a way if, if I could sit on here because my back is getting sore. But I think it's going to be too low, right? Yeah, maybe too long. So why does James change this word? Well, because of the wider context of caring for God's people. Now, I've expressed this to you. Every word in the Bible is important. Is it inconsequential that he changed or deviated from the original text? No, it's not. He does it for a specific reason. Who do you think in the history of Israel entertained angels? Abraham, thank you for that answer. Go to Genesis chapter 18. In Jewish commentary and tradition, Abraham is hailed as one who is an example of hospitality. And this chapter, chapter 18, is quoted to be... Thank you. I will when it gets really unbearable. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, Genesis 18, this chapter stands out as the demonstration of Abraham's hospitality. Look at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So you're saying, well, hang on, that is men. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels who appeared to him in chapter 18 came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So clearly uh, whatever you do with the one which can either be Yahweh manifesting himself on earth or the angel of the Lord, whatever you do with that, we know that that is a divine being. The other two are what? Angels. So Abram entertains Angel, the word here for angel in chapter 19 is malachim in Hebrew, which is translated in the Alexics as angeloi, plural for angels. James chooses that word to say the messengers were received by her and sent out by another way. There is a tremendous shift in the original text. So does James have the freedom to do that? Yes, he does, if he's trying to make a point. So what is the point that he's trying to make? Look, go back to James chapter um, 2. I hinted at this last time. But maybe it should be a little bit more clearer now. Look at the first line in verse 25. And in the same way was not Abraham? sorry, was not Rahab, the prostitute justified by works. Remember what I said about in the same way? It's an emphatic way to say, just like Abraham. Who's the example of hospitality? Abraham. Why does he choose Rahab as an example? Because of her what? Hospitality to not angels, but men or spies. And he says, just like Abraham showed hospitality or demonstrated his faith in how he treated the people of God, look at the example of this woman, Rahab, the prostitute. Like Abraham, she showed hospitality. She gave great honor to these two men. Abraham entertained angels and received them. Rahab and entertained strangers. And hid them in one instance, we have Abraham serving God, and in another instance, we have Rahab serving god 's people what 's the significance what 's the point that he 's trying to make here? Well, the wider context is that these people were not hospitable. Look at chapter two, verse two. For if a man wearing gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and uh, and, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my feet, have you not made distinctions? Have you not discriminated? Verse 1. My brothers, show no discrimination or partiality as you have or hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. They did not show hospitality, but they showed discrimination. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of levity. It's not good enough for you to say that you have faith in God. You need to act in a way that demonstrates that faith in God. But I think the, the better example of why he mentions this is the immediate context. And I'm going to spend some time speaking about the verb usage here. So if I lose you, I hope to be able to bring you together at the end. So, verse 16. I said there is a verbal link and somebody asked, is that what James is talking about? Is he talking about the way that, he, um, that she deals with the, 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 the saints, or at least with the messengers? Is he condemning the Jews who are the readers in this text? Look at verse 16. And one of you um, who says... Uh, Sorry, where's it now? Lost my place. Yeah, verse 16. And one of you says to him, or to them, this is the brother and the sister in verse 15 who comes into the church, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. (laughs) Take note of that word go. Circle that. There's a verbal link to verse 25. Now, when you, I say verbal link, you're probably thinking that there's the same verb being used or a cognate of that verb being used. But what James does is very interesting. I'm going to read verse 25 and then keep verse 16 in mind. When, uh, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified when she received the messengers? And sent them out by another way. Two words in that sentence echoes back. The first word is the antonym of go, which is to receive. So instead of using a similar word, he uses the opposite word. Instead of doing what they did by saying, no, go, 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 don't come to my house. She receives them. And then she sends them out so james willingly chooses the word opposite to what he uses of the audience who says no you go you go and says she received them to herself literally this word means to receive into one's home to receive into one's lodging but go means just keep going or literally just keep walking, just keep walking. <laughs> you'll never forget that again. The point is, just keep, keep on going. Don't even stop. Just move on. And he says, uh, that's what you say to your brother and your sister. Look at what she does. Strangers, and she welcomes them. Messengers, and she welcomes them. And you'll see the significance in a moment's time. The second link I want to point out is still that word go, but then he uses another word which is stronger than the word in verse 16. Look at verse 25 again. So firstly he uses the antonym uh, when she received, antonym, uh, the messengers, and sent them out by another way. That is stronger in sense than the word go in verse 16. The word sent them out literally means To throw out or to expel out. It is used of Jesus in Matthew 21 verse 12 where he drives them out of the temple. It's a very vivid, strong verb. And he says of her, and she threw them out, literally is what it says. Is that what she did? No. So why does James use such a strong word to describe what she does? To create a greater contrast. It's, it's, it's um, authorial mastery, the, the way that he puts this together. Listen to this. He uses a stronger word for Rahab to describe the urgency of her act. So she sends him out very quickly in the dark of night to protect them from the danger that is at hand. Yet you, in contrast, Graciously, lovingly, coldly say to your own brother and sister, just keep walking with a spiritual smile on your face. That's what James is doing. He's condemning the action by raising and intensifying her action. What a condemnation. What a backhand slap. It's like saying, brother, I see that you are hungry. You know what? I pray that the Lord would make it possible that they build a building that can have a shop so that you can eat. Sounds nice. Sounds spiritual. What a shame. That's the point that James is making. This woman who had no relationship with these people. This woman who, who had... No real need to care for these people. Treat them like angels with great honor. The contrast could not be greater. And it gets worse. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily feed. If you remember back to that sermon, he uses words here that describes a person that is in the rags. They are just flesh and bone. They are literally hanging on to life. There's a visual illustration given to the audience in their minds to say, there's a desperate need of a brother and a sister and you look at them and look the other way and say, I don't care. I hope that the Lord takes care of you. Just keep Walking. The significance here though is James chooses two people in the history of the Jews to illustrate what it means to take care of a brother or a sister. What was Abraham? A man. Masculine man. What was Rahab? A female. A feminine female. There's, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. He uses... Two people that matches the illustration of a brother and a sister in the text. Do you think that is just perchance he thumbsucked two individuals? No, he willingly chose Abraham and Rahab to illustrate to the audience listen, these people were not Jews when they cared for God's people. The Jews came from Abraham, the seed of Abraham. Rahab was clearly not a Jew. It is not accidental that this takes place. James willingly, in the context of this passage, brings it all together and says, it is a shame that you do not care for your brother and your sister. And this woman, she cares for angels. Strangers, you know what I mean. So James shows an inconsistency in this community. The faith that they claim is not matching up with their actions. Those who, who claim the name of Christ, those who claim to believe in Christ, those who claim to love Christ and do not act in similitude to Rahab have a problem. And I pray for you. So, Everything points back to the inability and unwillingness to respond to the hospitality or to the need of the hospitality that is required in this context. Secondly, was Rahab vindicated by a lie? You've held on long enough. Let me answer that question. There's a number of ways that you could answer this. Uh, I'm going to go to Joshua first and deal with... um, one aspect. In Joshua chapter 2, listen to what it says in verse 1. At the end of verse 1 it says, And when they came into the house of a prostitute, uh, of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king, sent, uh, the king of Jericho sent two Literally against Rayab, <coughs> saying, "Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for you have come, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, uh, "But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them." And she said, "True, the men came to me. But I do not know where they had come from. That's a lie. You will see why it's a lie. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. That's a lie. I do not, do not know where the men went. That's another lie. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. That's another lie. Sure, stacking up now. But she had brought them uh, uh, up to the roof and hit them with the stalks of flax, and she had laid that she had laid in order on the roof. You know what that means? She planned for it, premeditated. She put the flax there. Why? To hide them. He didn't store flax in the roof. Anyway, happens this way. So, problem here, right? All of those lies, and notice what James says. Was Rehab the prostitute not justified when, when she received and sent them out there, uh, by another way? That clause is a description of what she does in Joshua chapter two. That's all he needs to mention. All that she did is implied in that clause when she received and sent them out. So then. There is a problem here, don't you agree? There is a bit of a problem. She lies probably four or five times. How do we deal with this? Can a person be justified, not in the legal sense, vindicated by a lie? The answer is no. Why? Because lying is a sin, obvious. So then what do we do with this? Many people struggle with this, and it is a bit of a challenge, uh, honestly. It's, James chapter 2 is one of the most difficult sections in James to deal with. Some say, well, she's a prostitute. She knows how to lie. She's dealt with the the authorities. She knows how to avoid them. I don't buy that. No. Uh, I think there's a better way to deal with it. There are two possible ways in which we can answer this. Number one, war, time, deception is not deception. Think about that. Wartime deception is not what? Deception. The word spy in Joshua, by implication, means what? To deceive. These are foot soldiers. That's literally what the word means, to spy out on foot. They would, there's another word which is used uh, in Exodus, where God sends the, the spies through Moses. And that word is go spy out the land from a distance. So there's no intermingling in that context. It can, but generally it's from a distance. This word means to go in on foot to mingle, to to go alongside and live amongst. In fact, the word can also be translated slander. Now, uh, some say, well, why on earth would you have such a wide array of meanings? Well, the word slander relates to what the spies did. They would go in and amongst the city, sit at the city gate, and start to talk about the invading people. You know what happens? These people, they are ruthless. They spare no one. Oh my word, you've got to be fearful of these. So they spread rumors. And so people start to talk. And fear starts to grow, which is exactly what happens in Joshua. Uh, she says... Uh, I'm um, probably not going to find it. Verse 10. And we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and you came out, when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of uh, the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to discretion. The language there is what a Jew would know firsthand. Uh, this is not the main point. But I think these spies probably spread the lie so that there would be a a measure of fear amongst these people. So the spy, by nature, is deceptive. This was my initial thought. The only problem is, she's not a spy. Generally, The citizens do not engage in the war. The soldiers do. So I thought maybe there's another option, and I searched Scripture to find lies in the Bible. You know that there's a lot of lies in the Bible? I'm going to give you two examples. I'll emphasize one, the other one I'll just mention, because my time is running out very quickly. I think a better way to answer this is by saying that protecting the life of God's people is better than being honest in that situation. Make sense? To lie about the people you are protecting is better than to give them over to death. I am not advocating lying. There's a thin thread that I am walking on here. Okay. Go to Exodus, let me prove this, chapter 1. Some of you probably know the context here, um, Pharaoh, original Pharaoh of Genesis passed away, new Pharaoh came to power, Joseph and his people are still in Egypt, and it is, um, it is a hard time for them. Look at verse 15, and the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, now these were not midwives who were Jews, but midwives to the, to the Hebrews. One of them were, uh, um, was named Shifra, and the other Puha. When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, some of you may get confused with that, they sat and gave birth. If it is a son, you shall murder him, kill him, post birth abortion. You've got to wait for them to be born. See, if it's a, child, a boy, then abort him, kill him. But if a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king gets word of, uh, of this. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the, the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife, uh, midwife comes to them. Lie. Lie. Not true. They lied to the king disobeyed a direct command from the government or the governing authorities. <clears throat> Look at the next line. So God dealt well or good, Tove is a the word there, with the midwives. God blessed them because of a lie. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. God dealt graciously with them and blessed them. Why? Because they protected the people of God. God does not see it as a lie. He sees it as a gracious act of protecting His people. And lesser example, and I'm not going to turn to it, but it is also an example, is Matthew chapter 1. Remember the wise men? They, they didn't obey the king. They, they, they said no. In fact, God told them not to obey the king. So what actually is happening with um, <coughs> Rahab? <coughs> Why is this mentioned? You see, James chooses his words to protect Rahab. He says when she received them or welcomed them in uh, to her home the messengers and sent them out by another way she welcomed and protected them by sending them out by another way James does not see this as a lie nor does God frown on the fact that she protected these people by means of a lie. I think we have to stop using the word lie for what she does because the better way to describe what she does is to care for God's people by protecting God's people against any sort of harm. More so, she took a risk. She took a great risk. If you read on in chapter 2 of Joshua, the gates gets closed. And she mentions that when the gate closed, they left, but the gates only, only gets closed afterwards because now the soldiers of Jericho flee or run, go after the so-called messengers. And they close the gate. Why do you think they close the gate? Port of entry and escape. Where's Rehob at this time? Stuck in Jericho. Where's the king at this time? Stuck in Jericho. Where are some of the soldiers? Because usually they only send a handful of guys out to, to chase down two spies. Probably stuck in Jericho. She put her own life and her family's life at risk. Why? Because she trusted in her God. She trusted in the God of the Hebrews. She took a risk for them. She showed hospitality to them. She opened her heart by protecting them. She cared for them as her own. It is better to save the life of someone by diverting those who try to to kill that person than to be honest and allow them to be killed. I remember reading about Corrie ten Boom, and some of you may know the situation with her, where her father and her um, uh, protected Jews and uh, some Dutch citizens in a clock that was built into the wall and behind the clock there was a little bit, uh, a small room. Um, I forget the book, I think it's called Hiding Place? The Hiding Place. Um, And she had to lie on many occasions. To protect the life of the Jews, and some self-righteous Christian would say she lied. She's got to be honest. Tell the authorities they are here hiding in my house. Eventually, it is believed that uh, somebody who was kn- who knew about the situation, somebody who came there and fellowship with her, um, gave gave her over to the authorities and eventually got uh, arrested. Now I mention this because. A lot of people struggled during COVID. What do we do when the government comes knocking on my door and asks, where are the rest of the saints? What do we do when the government says, well, where do you guys meet? What do you do? You protect God's people at the risk of your own life. You protect God's people first and foremost. That's the example that Rehob, the prostitute leaves to these Jewish people what's the point of mentioning Rahab as an example I hope it should be clear by now he says to these people in the synagogue you do not care about an obvious need in your midst you say, you say to them go just, just keep walking don't, don't worry about it and may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may his face shine upon you it's like when, when, I've heard this before, a guy um, drove to church one day and there was a sister who was walking in a storm, a blizzard, I mean it was a storm to church and he in his self-righteousness said, you know what, I avoided the temptation and I didn't pick her up because she's a woman and I'm a guy. Cannot put myself in that situation. Yes, I honor that desire to keep yourself from temptation. But boy, are you dumb. For goodness sake, she's walking in a storm to go honor the Lord. And all you can think about is your testimony, what people would think of you. What a shame. There are mitigating situations where you sacrifice your good name for the sake of someone else. You see, we struggle to think through these things because we are blinded by our own self-exaltation. Her actions condemns your selfishness is what James is saying. What she does for a woman who does not know the law, consider this, didn't grow up in a Christian household, didn't grow up as a Jew, didn't have the law, had no godly instruction, yet she by nature knew what to do when it came to doing it. Protecting God's people. Why? Because she had faith that saved. John, the apostle, says it this way. We love because he first loved us. You will see how significant this illustration is next week. This woman demonstrated more character in a protection of God's people than all the sacrifices these Jews could offer. Why? Because her faith was active and their faith was dead. In both cases, Abraham and Rahab, both of them had to count the cost. Both of it came with personal sacrifice. Abraham, not only the loss of a son, but a loss of A covenant. If Isaac does not live, there is no future. And with Rea, the sacrifice is not only her own life, but the life of her parents and probably her siblings as well. Yet in James, these people were not willing to make personal sacrifices for these people who were brothers and sisters. And he says, this is is example of saving faith that demonstrates itself in works. It's interesting that James uses two extra ecclesiastical examples or extra Jewish or Hebrew examples to showcase what saving faith looks like so that the Jew cannot say it is by means of the works of the law and so that the church cannot say it is by means of coming to church. You do not demonstrate Saving faith by merely showing up at church. What is James after? An intense, loving concern for God's people. That is what he says. This is what demonstrates saving faith. You will note that in the entirety of chapter 2, verse 14 through to verse 26, There are no commands. Some of you may have picked it up. No imperatives, which means no perceived application, because that's what we look for. Imperatives equals application. Why do you think James does not apply it? Because the derived or deduced application is what? Pretty obvious. You have a need in your congregation. Step up and meet that need. You cannot say that you are a child of God and not care about the people of God. He does not need to apply it because it is pretty obvious. If you have saving faith, what are you going to have? Works. True faith results in works. Dead faith results in no works. And next time we will look at that. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are compassionate and abounding in loving kindness. We do need you, Lord. There are those who have been uneasy in these sermons, and rightly so. There are those who do not fully understand what this is about, because their eyes have not been opened. There are those who are encouraged to do something for you, and we thank you for that. There are those, Lord, who are seeking to honor you in being faithful to you in a variety of different ways. We pray that you would be kind to us. Save those who need saving. Sanctify us and sustain us for your glory. Speak, O Lord, that we may obey your word. As we give thanks to you in Christ's name. Amen.